in our previous church, the cry room was just off to the side, and behind the cry room was the room where the toddlers played so they could actually have traffic and access. And uh, there was a speaker in the cry room. And uh, so the kids in the background could hear me preaching. And uh, my eldest was about four at the time, five maybe. And uh, so they were in the preschool section, and I was preaching. But I got rather animated, and so I was really giving it stick. At which point, Josh turned to his mate and said, Your moms and dads must have been really naughty because my dad is shouting now. (laughs) Maybe it's safer to go out there. Yeah. Hey, Damien. (laughs) Cool. Oh, what a what a special time and um, yeah. uh, In one sense, we want to. He's saying, as, uh, as, 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 as we come, and obviously I've chosen this, A, to honor the Word of God, but because I believe this passage speaks especially to you, Annie. And it is Paul's final greetings to this church in his letter. We read in verse 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. This is a goodbye, but it's a time to rejoice. And the old translation, some of you might even have it in the NIV, says, aim for perfection. Um, I think rightly, the newer translations have picked up, aim for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So greet one another with a holy kiss. That's where it comes from. End of 2 Corinthians, if you wondered where that... And all God's people here send their greetings. Then we're going to focus on this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the close fellowship or sharing or intimacy of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So he calls us to rejoice and then he says, literally in the original, aim for perfection. And that might sound a little bit ridiculous some kind of utopian ideal where we without fault or flaw or struggle or burden or challenge. That's not what he's talking about. The original word here describes completeness and maturity and it also describes that which has been restored. So aim for full restoration. It's, It's not just aim for a half job. Aim for full restoration. And, and we see it in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 when Jesus says, uh, when a disciple is fully equipped, it's the same word, or fully mended, he will be like his master. When a disciple has been properly fixed, 
He'd be like his master. So this is not a sterile perfection. It's a personal reflection of the image of the one we follow. We get restored to his image. The one who is unblemished. Now this is a high standard and it's not measured by some legalism. but It's literally measured by the life and person of Jesus himself. His life and his ministry. Nanny, if there's one thing I know that you've owned and one thing that you've appreciated is the centrality in your ministry of the person of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that nothing will move you. Nothing will shake you from this quest of knowing him, following him, imitating him who is your head, and into whom the whole body is to grow and build itself up. And that is your calling. And church, that is our calling. That is our birthright too. So we don't settle for less. So I want to kind of look a little bit at this blessing that I believe kind of incorporates, and we'll look at it in its three headings, the grace, the love, the fellowship. I want to make a few little introductory comments because we call it the benediction, and we think it's the over and out. You know, so when I was an air traffic controller, and uh, you were finishing your transmission, some of the amateur pilots would go, over and out. You didn't normally do that, but that's what they would do, so that you knew they were done. They'd been listening to squad cars in their childhood. Um, and when we come to this benediction, some of us see it as the end of ministry, as the end of stuff, as the close of the service, as the curtain falling, maybe even on a, on a brief window of spiritual encounter, and now comes the benediction, and now... After that, it's the real world and life sucks all over again. You've got to make it through another week. And we don't remotely see that in the text. And, and certainly, we, don't, we need to understand that this blessing is the essence of how Jesus himself lived. If you want to be fully mended, if you want to look like the master, then you want to own this blessing. It's Trinitarian from start to finish. It is the launch pad. It is the curtain rising. It is the ship having entered the harbor for a season. Now returning to the high seas. And this is part of its provision. It's part of its new course. So what has been given it in the harbor and what it is destined for on the open seas is defined by part of what this is. The benediction isn't just the close of church, it's the entry onto the mission field of God and into the purposes and direction. It's the open door, not the falling curtain. Jesus walked in this grace. So here it is in three parts. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul invokes the full authority of the title and the name of Jesus. And he, he recognizes this is a power thing. This is an authority thing. And he wants to release this in the people of, of this church. He wants to release it uh, in their lives and in their community. 
And Jesus is Lord was the earliest Christian confession. And it didn't happen in a vacuum. Why? Because everybody else in the empire was required to say, Caesar is Lord. And so this wasn't sort of like some kind of politically neutral or socially neutral. It was a loaded, powerful statement to say, Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord. It declared to the Jews that God has become a man. You know, the Romans had lots of gods who were confused with humankind and were actually just extensions of human emotion and and ambition and drive and jealousy and everything. The Jewish God was unmistakably Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and He is holy, and He is perfect, and He is righteous, and He is completely unlike human beings until Jesus. In which we find a man whose identity incredibly is God. He is Lord. Remarkably from a backwater town, Nazareth in Galilee, So it spoke to the Jews, spoke to the Romans, subverted their power beliefs and and their own confession and creed that Caesar is Lord. And so at their baptisms, Jewish and Gentile, they found a new allegiance in the body of Christ. Jesus is Messiah, the Christ. Jesus is Lord, the Kurios, the Caesar. He is the new power. And Jesus, reading Matthew, would offer himself as a sacrifice, for you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we have God, who is human in the flesh, confronting the powers of the earth and saving his people from their sins. Lord Jesus Christ. And how did this happen? Well, these titles at the baptism declared to new believers that they were washed, that they were cleansed. We sang it in the hymns that literally Jesus became the sin offering for us. They understood that they were trading in their old life Because that was dead and they were now receiving something new. This new was so radical, Jesus called it being born again. I mean, how much of a fresh start do we need? And you know, this is a a mixed space for some of you. You might think, man, if only I could. Start again. But how many years? How many decades? What has been taken from me? The power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is that today you have the opportunity and the invitation, no matter what has happened in your life, to begin again. For me, it happened as a young boy of 15 years old, going on a mission when I myself most needed to be reached. (laughs) 
You see, Jesus did it and He didn't have to do it. He owed us nothing. But He did it because of grace. He took your place. He took mine. So what does the grace of the Lord Jesus mean? It means you can't buy it. it means you can't earn it. It also means you don't have to. You, believe, you receive it by believing it. You receive it by trusting deeply in the person who is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you trust Him, not some magic formula, Him going to the cross in your place, carrying your sin, canceling your debt, and crediting you with your, His righteousness, when you trust Him, His grace flows into your life. You receive it by believing it. And if you believe it, you're going to live it. And the Bible contrasts this grace with several things. It contrasts it with debt, which is the opposite of being in bondage and obligation and grace frees us from debt. It contrasts it with works in which we try and do good stuff so that God will possibly bless us, prosper us, not punish us. Those things... It's an empty space. It's a graceless space. Debt and works and law. The writing of human rules so that we can try and measure up and the motive that drives it is fear. But when we receive the grace of Jesus, the motive for a new life becomes love. And so grace is not some cheap excuse to avoid or resist life change or discipleship. Grace is the power by which we embrace it. Grace is the power by which we walk as disciples and followers of Jesus. And you know it, it's the heart of grace that unlocks following, reproducing Jesus. So walk in it. Grow in it. Fill it up. Enlarge yourself. Expand, extend, and increase in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ which flows into the love of God. What a blessing. What a legacy. What an enabling. Jesus Himself. Heaven was violently ripped open at His baptism. And God says, you know, whams Gabriel in the ribs and says, That's my boy! And I love him! I'm so pleased with him! Read it. It's in the original. He w- there's, there's nothing gentle about that act. <laughs> I mean, it's a violent tearing of the heavens. And a great voice declaring the love that the Father has. His affection, His delight in His boy. And one day we will get to stand before God and receive the full extent of that same affection. It is our inheritance. But God does, this blessing does not intend that you only wait for one day. No more than that you should wait for grace for one day. But that today you begin in believing 
to receive the full extent of His kindness, of His compassions. Whether it's for sinners and rebels, for broken, for the willful, for the stubborn, for the ungrateful. If we will turn to Him, we will gladly be given the fullness of His love. We know John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have the life of the eternal ages enter their life. Your future life begins to enter your life the moment you put your faith in Jesus. It's not just one day. You possess already now the life of the eternal ages that begins to enter your life through the love of the Father in giving you His Son. So we know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. Now, some translations just conveniently forget the little Greek word and, and, and put a full stop there. So you go, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. And that, that is a biblical thought. It's in Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the flow of the grammar in this passage is, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, laid down His life for us, and we lay down our lives for others. You want to know love? You want to experience love? It's not just going to be, God, come bless me. It's going to be, God, let your love flow through me. The grace of Jesus, the love of the Father. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus many decades ago, it was just with, with, within a day or two, I found myself going to the man who had led me to faith. And my own story was that my parents had broken up and my dad was um, out of my life completely. In fact, he was homeless on the streets of Pretoria. And I had no felt sense of father, and I haven't ha hadn't had for about five years at that time. And as Jesus' grace entered my life, one of the first things that happened is that I found myself seeking a father and needing to deal with the fatherlessness that had defined my life five years in my entry into teenage life. And a group of those young people got around me and prayed that God would show himself to me as Abba. And that his love would work a miracle both in me and in my earthly father. And he did. You see, we set our hearts at rest in His presence, 1 John 3.19, by receiving, by focusing, and then by releasing the love that God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. You're meant to lean on this blessing. <laughs> 
you're meant to like put your weight fully on it. In the next chapter, 1 John 4, God is love. And you can lean on it. You can carry weight on it. So Annie, I've got to thank you, God, from Cindy and I and PBC. And one of it is to thank you for the ways in which we've seen the love of God flow through you to us. You have been this blessing among us. You have carried His grace and His love. And lastly, we have seen in you this fellowship, this sweet intimacy, this connection. And, and, and fellowship is quite a hard word to capture in the English language. We don't have an easy sense for it. But it's a deep person-to-person connection. It's both deep, it's intimate, and yet it is free. There's a sharing the very word sharing is, I don't pay. If, if I share your chocolate, it's because you've allowed me access. And as Cindy defines and reminded me yesterday, babes, what's yours is mine and what is mine is mine. Um, <laughs> now the incredible thing is in fellowship, is that what's his is ours. And he's holy. He's holy. What his is ours. And so with his presence, with his fellowship, with the person of the Holy Spirit, and there's so much more, we see his fullness. For example, in Luke 4, verse 1. Then we see His power. Jesus walking in the power of the Spirit. Then He says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And we see His anointing. And then we see multiple gifts cascading out of the life of Jesus Himself as He begins to do the many things that the Holy Spirit equips Him to do. They call the charismata, the gifts that God releases. Because the charismata are how gra- is how grace works. Something is auto-smarter, it is automatic. It, it works by itself, auto-smarter, automatic. Charismata, it works by grace. So when you've got the gifts, you've got grace that is beginning to work. It is the power behind the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit comes and He makes Jesus so real. (laughs) And He's the one, by the way, who unlocks us to receive grace. Without Him, you couldn't. And the Holy Spirit is the one, Scripture says in many different places, that links us to the love and the compassion of the Father. The Spirit Himself testifies, Romans 8, verse 16, with our spirit that we are God's children. And the Spirit connects us to that Father love. But there is one last thing. 
And I, I know of no greater blessing than the Trinitarian reality that defines our lives. But there's something very important. The sequence matters. Sometimes you think it should start, you know, love of God, then grace, then Holy Spirit power. No, no, no. The sequence really matters. Until you've trusted God fully in the person of Jesus for grace, you'll never unlock love and you'll never see the life of Holy Spirit flow through you into the world. The sequence really matters. So the question becomes, am I longing for something of Holy Spirit's fullness and power and anointing and gifts? One of the first checkpoints is to say, am I walking in grace or walking in law? Am I trying to perform my way? Or am I trying to just let God do what He wants to do? And if I want to see those things happen, if I want the love of God, so I press into Jesus, receiving, believing in the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus. It unlocks the love which frees me from trying to gain and use the wonderful power and gifts of the Holy Spirit for myself. Why? Because my own needs are already satisfied. I am loved. I am known. He is my protection. He is my provision. He is the one who will lead and guide. I don't have to use my ministry to gain my identity. And Annie, I think that's so important as, as you come to a closing point of ministry. I bless you for your identity. We honor your ministry. We celebrate it. We see it. We recognize it. But far more importantly, we recognize that you're someone rooted and established in the grace of Jesus and in the love of Father. And so as your ministry changes, we bless you to still press in to that grace and that love. For you are not defined by what you have done as much as we are grateful for it. You are defined as a daughter of the King. And you walk with your head held high. And every victory is to his praise. And every moment's regret we cut off in the name of Jesus. Because you are not defined by any perceived disappointment or loss. We recognize what God has done. And we give him thanks. Let's pray together.